Hello and welcome to the podcast of TechU. I am your host, Andre Degeler. In today's episode, I would like you to listen to an interview with Robert Lacher, the founding partner of Berlin-based VC firm called Visionaries Club. I am not sure, honestly, if I like this name, but I have to say the firm is backed by a very impressive list of founders of successful European startups, including Flixbus and Get Your Guide and HelloFresh and Skype and much, much more. So let's listen to this conversation recorded by Robin Wouters to learn more. Hey, this is Robin Wouters from Tech.eu, and I'm joined here remotely, of course, as usual these days, by Robert Lacher. He is one of the founders of Visionaries Club, which is quite an unusual investor based out of uh, Germany. I'm going to let Robert, of course, do the introduction himself because he knows a lot more about the company. Uh, but just a quick note that it was launched in 2019 with two microphones and it's been doing some amazing things ever since. So I'm very happy to finally uh, get to speak to Robert. It's been scheduled for a while. So finally, the recording is happening. So I'm very happy with that. Uh, Robert, welcome to the TechU Show. Hi, Robin. Thanks so much for having me and uh, very much looking forward to, to speaking. Fantastic. So what can you tell us about Visionaries Club in a nutshell uh, before we start to the, get to the real questions? <laughs> yeah, thanks so much. Uh, great introduction from your end uh, already. So we are 170 million Berlin-based funds split into two micro funds, an 85 million seed fund and an 85 million early growth fund. I think what makes us a little different from other VCs is that we only have very successful entrepreneurs as our investors. So we have 30 unicorn founders on the one hand side, like the founders of UiPath, Skype, Flixbus, HelloFresh, or Miro, who've built great digital companies, people that we most of them know for a long time. And I think on the other end, maybe a little more complementary to the European tech ecosystem, 20 family business entrepreneurs like Starsky in the consumer space or Figa in the logistics space or Mittal at Camille. And the reason why we designed the funds that way is that we've all been founders ourselves before. And kind of the way we see the startup ecosystem is that there has been a lot of money going into it in the last uh, one or two years, a lot of great new funds that got raised, but we always felt that network and access has been the most important ingredient when we started our companies. And that's why we think this is the best way and the most authentic way we can support the founders that we back with, with those founders also that back us. Yeah. So this is actually the first time you're starting a, an investment firm. Is that correct? Uh, no, that's not correct. So it, it actually came a little bit step by step. So my background is that I studied engineering and business, spent a few years at BCG, where, you know, the fun fact is my mentor was Jochen, the founder of Flixbus, who became a very close ah. friend and also part of the visionaries uh, mafia. And I was, again, working closely with Max Fisman, who's a very impressive next-gen family business entrepreneur, basically taking a 100-year-old company with uh, 12,000 employees to the digital age and what we figured out back then was that there was no real connect between old and new economy entrepreneurs in Europe and we always had the idea to do something about it or build a venture capital fund about it and then um, it actually took a little so I, I started a, a little mobile company in the meantime which I sold to Zalando then ended up more uh, as an angel investor and then out of this angel investing activities we founded a small seed fund called La Familia where we mainly invested the, the private money of ourselves and a few angels and friends into 30 B2B companies. And then, yeah, you're, you're right in a way that two years ago, I, I then decided that uh, I loved doing this so much and I saw so much potential actually also being an entrepreneur in VC or kind of disrupting the ecosystem a bit that I decided to do this full time and then started uh, Visionaries Club with my very good friend, Sebastian uh, Pollock, who has also been a founder before. 
Fantastic. Now, you, you already mentioned you have a bunch of uh, unicorn uh, founders, uh, more than 30, I think. Uh, you have all those family business like Swarovski and B. Brown and others. Um, how long did it take you to gather all these people up into backing this fund? Because you know, I can imagine all these people are incredibly busy. They get asked quite a lot to join, things like that. So uh, how much time did it really take? And you could be really honest. Yeah, you know, it's uh, with with disruption with startups <laughs> as well as with COVID, things are exponential. And I think that's also how networks evolve. And it all started basically six, seven years ago, you know, when we were, you know, I got in touch through, with, a, with a few family business entrepreneurs through Max. And then we started our own companies, got in touch with the startup ecosystem. And then we were just like very few founders investing. And then luckily we we had a good hand investing in some, some good B2B topics. And we brought in this kind of, family business network spirit to the to the startup ecosystem which i think is something new in b2b and then um i think step by step things emerge so we never really fundraised and we also never like proactively reached out to people but the great thing is that i think both networks in the startup ecosystem as well as in the family business e- ecosystem are very closely tied and a lot of trust between those people and that's how we step by step got across a lot of great entrepreneurs that we got introduced to that we were basically step-by-step taking on board. And uh, now here we are actually growing out of a very informal and trusted network and and uh, putting this network into this micro fund structure now um, investing into startups. Interesting. Um, you mentioned uh, B2B. Uh, so I, I'll ask you just to, uh, what, what's the general thesis of, uh, of, of the companies that you're backing? Yeah, so I think, you know, in general, we, we we were one of the first investors purely focusing on non-B2B maybe four or five years ago, because that's actually in Europe where we see the biggest potential to really build global category leaders. You know, if you look into the last 15, 20 years post-new economy, there have been a lot of great consumer internet companies, but but sometimes they have also been, you know, copycats of US companies and um, a lot of business school founders. And if you look at the European university landscape where we are really strong. It's all those great tech universities as actually sourcing ground for good ideas, like whether it's Zurich, whether it's Cambridge Oxford cluster or all those decentralized German universities. That's the one inside. I think the other end, if you look at the DNA of our European economy, it's all those industrial world market leaders. 90% of our economy are really industrial companies, whether it's, you know, heating or (laughs) other manufacturing technology or automotive suppliers. And I think if you turn things around and look at at the startup ecosystem, this is a huge enablement for new B2B companies because those companies can be very close to the customers. They can develop technologies close to the customers. And that's why we thought that Europe as as a continent is a great enablement with its industry for those B2B companies. And that's how we basically started saying we we invest into anything digital in the B2B space. And overall, we are looking into two main categories. Uh, The the one is uh, the digitization of the industrial value chain. So our hypothesis is that everything that can be digitized across the the supply chain will be digitized. This starts from sourcing and procurement software to modular production systems, new logistics stacks that you can see with Porto or Zenda after sales technology. So that's one more enterprisey area we look into. And the other one is very different, but but also B2B. It's what, what we say, decentralization of work. So any tools that basically empower people, which are then, you know, employees in companies, which are almost kind of consumer that you address in B2B mm-hmm. using um, using tools that make their daily lives uh, better and easier. Yeah. Uh, what about the stage that you invest in? Do you want to go early, lead rounds, or, or do you want to co-invest and, and, and follow on? Uh, what's the strategy there? 
Yeah, so when we design Visionaries Club, we, we really try to build the best product for founders. Um, and the way we thought about it is on the one hand side, we love to invest pre-seed and seed. So with our seed fund, we, we, we love to go in as early as possible and um, either lead or co-lead seed rounds. And then, you know, if you look at the ecosystem at the Series A space, I think it is has developed in a, in a very positive way in the last two or three years. There are so many funds focusing to enter Series A rounds. Um, and then you have all the US funds coming over to Europe, like Sequoia that opened an office last year and uh, all the others kind of following now. That's why we said we want to skip Series A. I think it's the best product as an investor that you can offer to a founder is that we say we lead or co-lead the seed round, but then we don't expose them to a signaling risk kind of also leading the Series A round. So that's where we love to pull in um, investors um, that can be a great match for the founders. And then, you know, in the Series B, Series C stage, that's again a stage where we can contribute a lot with our enterprise network, um, helping companies scale um, with international go-to-market introductions to our family business network. And that's where we love to co-invest with other larger funds. So typically we invest 5 million in those growth rounds. And then we pull in funds like Sequoia or Excel, Atomico Index to lead the rounds who are amazing funds that we've worked a lot with in the past, also in our seed portfolio. And yeah, so it's basically two funds, one focusing on pre-seed seed stage and one focusing more on the early growth stage, but rather trying to be complementary to the ecosystem than, than competing. Yeah, interesting. And what about geographical focus? Because obviously uh, your thesis is mostly focused on, on what the companies do rather than where they're located. But of course, uh, because of the fact that you had already in Berlin, Berlin and you have a, a, quite a... A strong network in Germany. Uh, I think most of your portfolio companies today are a bit scoot uh, towards Germany, I would say. Do you see that changing over time? Um, yes and no. So I think like our focus is pretty much all across Europe. And if you look at our portfolio, it's also quite equally distributed across Europe. So we have investments in the Nordics like Tillet, uh, investments in London like Get Harley and, and other countries as well. I think the thing about Germany and why we also have our office in Berlin is that, A, it's incredibly decentralized as an ecosystem. So you don't go to this one city uh, where you and one cluster where you find all the companies, but you have good B2B companies coming out of very, very different decentralized regions. If you take Central, they, they come out of Augsburg. Some people never heard about the city. If you look at staff base, I think they come out of Chemnitz. And yeah, that's why I think we're trying to cover, of course, Germany or the Dach region in this decentralized way, also with our angel network, where a lot of our angels started their companies, but uh, our focus is all across uh, Europe. Yeah, great. Um, you mentioned earlier that you, when you um, sort of had the, the vision to set up visionaries, uh, in a way, um, you wanted to disrupt sort of the VC uh, model or VC ecosystem here in Europe, which is a line that I've heard so many times in the past. And, and it's normal. That's normal because if you set up a new fund and, and you say, I'm going to do it exactly the same way <laughs> that that, uh, that my peers are doing, of course, you're not going to get attention. But but I always wonder, like, why, why does do you feel the need to disrupt the VC ecosystem at all? What, what is so bad about it that needs to change? Mm -hmm. I don't think it's bad. Um, I just think it's it's not very differentiated. So if you look at the, you know, it's funny that VCs always invest in disruption themselves. But if you look at the last 50 years of how VCs were structured, uh, I think VC was the least disruptive industry itself because most of the funds were between 100 and 500 million in size in Europe, focusing on Series A stage, having either large institutional investors or pension funds or in Europe, often the European Investment Fund as, as an LP, which is just financial money. And then, of course, as a founder, you get the pitch from each VC investor that they're 
the best partner with the biggest network and the best track record. And uh, that's that's why founders should choose them. So I think, you know, that's that's why if you look at the 250, 300 funds in Europe um, that, that emerged over the last 10, 15 years, I think a lot of them were kind of in this structure and similar size, similar stage, and all focusing to lead rounds. I think the disruption that I would like to see in the ecosystem is on the one hand side, when we look into B2B, which is right now one of the biggest thesis of, of a lot of funds, I think bringing in the old economy in a tangible way is something very important. So having, for example, like, like we do a lot of the leading businesses and decision makers from the old economy as investors who, who get disrupted and who can thus be a great sparing partner is one thing that I think we should bring more to the ecosystem to 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 connect all the new. I think this the second thing, and this is happening a lot right now and also in the last two years, is founders that have successfully started companies in Europe, especially B2B founders, trying to get them to invest back into the ecosystem, go to universities, tell their story and be be um, great, great, great sparing partners for the founders that they back. So also involving those founders with significant capital and also a way to to bring in their knowledge is, is the second thing, which I think can be done in a more structured way. And, and, and this is also greatly happening right now. So you have a lot of developments now, you know, I, th- I think long story short, um, if we turn things around, I think for the first time in 50 years right now, we really see the VC ecosystem getting disrupted upside down across stages. So you have Tiger Global, you know, that started last year to be even more aggressive, you know, their playbook, you know, how they lead rounds. And a lot of founders appreciate it because they say, you know, we love to to, to take the money and have like someone who's um, a very clear sparring partner, but doesn't take board seats and doesn't talk into my business. Then um, you have a great development around single GP funds like Harry Stebbings with 20 VC or Elad Gill. I think he's, he's raised an 800 million fund now leading, leading late stage rounds because some founders say, look, I, I rather want to have a former founder that backs me and is, is a close sparring partner than just a VC manager who's, who's taking my board seat. And I could continue now for ages, as you see, but I think there are a lot of new ingredients we can bring into the ecosystem. And I think the, the last point I would love to make is Europe is so different than Silicon Valley and the US in terms of how our ecosystem and market is built. And that's why we also need different kind of funds, I think, to 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 take most advantage out of the ecosystem. Because in US, you have focused clusters like Silicon Valley, Texas, or, or Boston, where you have elite clusters of universities and those clusters developed over 50 years. In Europe, it's incredibly decentralized, a lot of different countries, universities, ecosystems, and in order to leverage this from C2 to, to growth stage and address this in the best possible way, I think it, it can can need some innovation from uh, from from new approaches in uh, in VC as well. Yeah, well, I didn't want to stop you from talking about it because I think it's really interesting. Um, but but it's interesting that you mentioned Tiger Global because I was just about to bring them up uh, in the context of there is so much money uh, flowing into the ecosystem. Uh, well, the ecosystems, I should say, uh, across Europe these days. Uh, as I'm sure you've noticed as well, especially in the last two years, it's been quite uh, crazy. Like the, also the speed of which uh, companies are reaching unicorn uh, valuations, the amount of unicorns that we get uh, almost on a weekly basis these uh, these days. Uh, it's just insane. Do, do you fear sometimes that it's uh, getting a little bit out of hand and that it's all happening a bit too quickly? That's the the great question, of course. So I think clearly we are running into a bubble in 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 some parts. And um, if you if you look at the amount of unicorns formed and if you look at how much the market can 
kind of catch up with this in terms of adoption. This this can't be a match in the overall market. But I think the big difference, if you compare it to new economy bubble, which which some people do, is that those companies that get this funding and go into those stages have very very strong economics and KPIs. So if I look at our SaaS portfolio or the unicorns that kind of came up in our portfolio, whether it's a Presonio or Accentral or Forto or, or those kind of companies, they really have significant traction in B2B and they really take their markets upside down. And I think um, to to answer this in the long run, the, the key question will be, how does this money that is going into the ecosystem and the acceleration of valuations correlate with the adoption of those technologies really in B2B? And that's where... With COVID, actually, we saw an inflection point because it was a little wake-up call for a lot of the industrial companies that we had in Europe that started, you know, to act much faster on implementing more digital technologies, thinking about more software-as-a-service solutions. Some of them had to implement it, of course, you know, since people were working from home. But um, we are taking rather an optimistic view on the overall market because we are coming in Europe from a more humble valuation base than than in the US in the last two, three, four years. And you can see, you know, with companies like Salonis, UiPath that that are, you know, building global category leaders that the the revenue growth really step by step also correlated with the with the valuations. So long story short, the final answer, of course, I don't know. I think it's it's for us it's more interesting to to look really deeply into the numbers of the companies and try to to find those companies where even if there's a little bubble now, or if, if we go through some macroeconomics up and down cycles that will still uh, last uh, throughout those cycles. And I think that's the beauty also about B2B companies when they show traction. It's it's different to consumer in a way that when a company adopts a B2B technology, it's a very clear, logic, rational decision because there's either a return on investment or a revenue increase. And that's why I think those decisions are grounded in more sustainable developments than let's say, consumer internet companies where people use the one subscription app and then two years later, uh, no one is interested in that anymore. People switch to other apps or other applications where I think it's sometimes a different story. Yeah, yeah it will be interesting to watch for sure. Do you feel like that Europe is also catching up in terms of the exit opportunities, which has long been sort of a problem that, you know, there were good companies, good entrepreneurs, but uh, the exits were not uh, as plentiful and not as big uh, as they were in the US and other parts of the world. Um, do you think uh, Europe has the potential to also catch up on that front? Yes, I think there is huge potential. And um, how, how good is the exit ecosystem? I think a lot that we need to catch up on and develop compared to the US. So if we look at public markets, most of the really, really strong European companies that become global category leaders go public on NASDAQ. Why does UiPath go public on NASDAQ and not on European stock stock market? And that's why I think uh, looking at stock markets, this is something where we where we can improve a lot. Uh, when we look into the M&A landscape, it's quite interesting that given we have this broad industrial base of many of them family businesses that do somewhere between 5 billion and, and, and 40 billion revenues, that, that's kind of um, a large group of those companies. They have deep enough pockets to acquire interesting B2B companies, but of course they can't pay like valuations that that, that Google or Tencent or those companies pay in, in the billions. So what, what we see already right now is that the M&A landscape for B2B companies exiting between 100 million and 1 billion has become quite active. And I would assume in the next years that this is a very 
uh, fast developing market for those companies maybe that are going for a faster exit. When we look at the really big opportunities, I mean, just look at those unicorns that popped up this year, like a Zender or like a Presonio or Texalonis that will be the next candidate to go public. I think the sad thing is that those companies likely more look into, into NASDAQ instead of a European stock market. So I think it's something where we need to catch up. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the C word earlier. And by that, I mean uh, COVID, just to be clear. Um, it's interesting to me because you, you kind of formally set up these funds in 2019, which means that you've sort of been in COVID times longer than you have uh, than when you, when you weren't, <laughs> when you set up uh, the, the investment firm. So how has that affected you in terms of operations uh, as an investor? Has it changed dramatically since the, let's say, the first few months of the operations? I think it has changed dramatically the entire VC ecosystem because we're coming in Europe, you know, from a slower market with very kind of few investors compared to the US. And, and that was also A, because US funds weren't that interested in B2B or European companies. B, we didn't have that many unicorns. And C, it was a very local decentralized game because you had to fly to Paris or to Zurich to meet a founder. You had to find those people there. And that's why uh, European funds were kind of closer And then suddenly, you know, <laughs> with Zoom, every deal is global from day one. Uh, a lot of capital got raised uh, globally, especially also in the US. And then you had the shift uh, globally from consumer to, to B2B. And then you had COVID also as a, as a tailwind for, for B2B adoption. So I think this has accelerated the ecosystem in, in, in such a fast way that I think being a VC in the last 12 months felt a little like being a call center agent where you're hmm. making calls from morning uh, till evening and and kind of selling why why you're maybe the fund that the founder should speak to. Deal speed has increased uh, tremendously. So um, deals go much faster since founders, you know, can can speak globally uh, to, 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 to funds. Valuations have increased uh, quite, quite steeply. And um, I hope that things get back a little more into normal. I think there are positive things of this kind of, situation for founders that they have more global access to capital and that the ecosystem was able to 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 take this kind of acceleration phase but on the other hand uh, as you already mentioned 10 minutes ago the question is how sustainable are all those rounds across stages when you know you have a seed round and a u.s fund just like a three billion fund just says that let's put five million to the company and, and and buy kind of an excess ticket if it goes well and if it doesn't go well it doesn't hurt the fund that much that's of course also taking the ecosystem a little bit upside down. Yeah, yeah. interesting times for sure. Um, let's talk about Berlin for, for a minute because that's where you're headquartered after all. Um, I haven't been to Berlin since February last year for obvious reasons. Um, so tell me, what's the ecosystem like these days and how has it changed in your view uh, in the last, let's say, three to four years? Yeah, that's a great question because I think, you know, when we looked into the last 15 years uh, where Consumer internet, uh, also rocket internet that played uh, a very big role there was the predominant um, type of companies that were started. I think Berlin was a hub where you could find most of the founders there because it was a very good ecosystem where you could get developers, designers, and kind of um, hire anyone you, you wanted. I think this has really, really changed in the last two or three years. So if, if I look at the kind of sources for our B2B investments in Germany, they not many companies are born out of Berlin. They're rather born out of Munich or Aachen, where we recently invested, or Chemnitz or Augsburg. So, so cities where you have strong tech universities. And and then, you know, sometimes the founders decide to set up an office in Berlin, but it's not really 
anymore the case that we like see a lot of B2B companies by default all being in Berlin. I think the beauty about the cluster is that the exchange um, still happens a lot in Berlin. So most of the VC funds are located in Berlin. So when founders want to meet funds, they go, yeah, they, they spent one week in Berlin, uh, pitch to everyone. And um, I think it's still an amazing city to build a company given, given that the ecosystem is now very developed. A lot of great people that have been in the past years, either in one of the big companies like Zalando or, you know, have gone through a nice education at Rocket and now can, can bring in their skills to, to also new B2B companies. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a final question just to end with a cheeky one. What is a company that you had the possibility to invest in, but you passed and that you now regret? Sort of your anti-portfolio, if you want to call it that. <laughs> there are too many of them. Um, <laughs> it's always more companies that you would have loved to invest than uh, than than you did. I think one that I'm really really sad uh, where we almost invested, but but somehow didn't have investing is Isaiah Space. It's it's incredible founders. Um, I, I I love the guys, and when I met them, they they came right out of university, and uh, you, you you could see that they're really no bullshit in, in, in building this rocket technology. But then, you know, you start looking into the market and can you exit this internationally? Is this something kind of uh, that, that, that requires a lot of money and then follow on rounds? And, and somehow we ended up not investing as seed, but uh, I I love the team. I think it's great for Europe that, that those companies are built now and, and getting funded. And uh, I think they will do incredibly well. Yeah, and who knows, you might still get in at a later point if you raise your next fund to be like a Series C, Series D one. <laughs> yeah, look, we're also beginners in VC, right? If you're uh, like like us, uh, kind of trying to be an entrepreneur in VC, you're you you don't have any any experience before. You're doing an incredible amount of mix- mistakes as as any other founder, and and uh, the best we can try is to learn from those mistakes and hopefully, fund generation after fund generation, um, make better and better decisions. Well, Robert, thank you for a pleasant conversation and shining a light on Visionaries Club, who's really interesting. Uh, Hopefully we get to meet in person in Berlin very soon. But in any case, uh, best of luck with everything. And uh, thank you again for your time. Likewise, thanks so much for having me and uh, hope to see you in person soon. And this is it for our today's episode. Big thanks to Robert Lacher for joining and big thanks to you for listening to this one. If you like our show, follow us today wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if that place has a possibility to rate and review the show, please do that as well. Our audio engineering is done by SoundPulse, that is sound-pulse.com. Your questions, suggestions, and opinions are very welcome. Please send them to podcast at tech.eu. This was TechEU Podcast. I am Andre Degler, and I will talk to you again very soon. For now, take care and enjoy your week. Bye-bye.